Dad Bod Rap Pod back again. Thanks for listening, y'all. This is a uh, we've been looking at the numbers and shit is like motherfuckers is listening. We took a week off, right? And there was like one person who was really concerned about that. <laughs> so that tells me that we're making huge inroads um, in audience. My name is Dim One, Damone Carter, the Struggle Rap Artur. I am joined by Nate Hole Thirty LeBlanc. <laughs> Um, in the Hungrily building. yours. <laughs> <laughs> lightheaded. Yeah, lightheaded. <laughs> he's struggling to get his caloric intake up, but he's 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 podcasting valiantly. Um, and then we have Dave Young Saigon Ma, <laughs> my yeah. favorite rapper, by the way. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's two guys Saigon references. Uh, I think we're at our limit. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we're we're back again. Another episode, another dope interview we've got lined up down the line but we do this podcast and i noticed that actually sometimes we don't have a chance to talk about the dope ass records that right, came out right. um, sometimes it's due to our odd scheduling we just right there's just a right. little gap and then we're like oh is it too old now or we don't think right, about it right because right. we had a scheduled topic right. for the day but yeah but, but yeah you, you know there's also like an embarrassment of riches recently so it's just like holy shit this weekend's gonna be crazy and then it's next weekend and then yeah it's like, what, we, new release fridays this? have you know? become like this kind of almost like homework i'm like oh shit have i have right. i listened to 100%. all the things uh, I, I, I feel like that on certain fridays yeah, yeah. too and i try to schedule my work day so i can at least get a glimpse of everything right, right. But, but that's not the appropriate way to listen to music so i'm always like right. okay exactly. tomorrow when i'm off at home i'll yes. clean the house and put this up real loud or whatever and like that doesn't always happen so yeah it is, it is a little homeworky and there's you know i think we all have the ones where we just skip there's yeah the, there's the yeah. like i'm just not going to listen to that because that doesn't interest me and then there's right. the like i know everybody's talking about this but i never really liked them mm-hmm. so i'm not going to take it's, the time and then, so i'll try and then right. sometimes it's good and sometimes right. it's not but it's just funny you tried we were talking about this off mic um how you need to be a filter Right. I used to be yeah. the filter for all my friends. Right. Yeah. Like, right. This right. is what's Duration. Dope. This is what you need to listen to. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, I'll still do that for a couple of people. But it's more just to guard my time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have I don't have time for a mediocre trap record. I don't have time. <laughs> like, I just I really don't. Yeah. But um, I do feel like the current schedule and the torrent of releases that come out does make me question to whether sometimes am I really listening to this record? Like, sometimes I'm like, I'm shitting on this record. But did I really listen 100%. to it? That I right. listened to with one earphone, right? Right, while right, right, I was, right. While I was on a webinar or right, whatever, right, you know right. what I mean? It's or, like, yeah. Or I think more, more accurately, did you hear it? You know did I, I hear mean? it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so we we try to do our best. Um, this podcast, in a lot of ways, has been about translating what rap is now for cats our age. Sure. And so one album that I think really personifies this and one that I have literally tried to put people onto um, is Bandana, right. the Freddie Gibbs Mad Lib um, collaboration. Which and is not a sequel to Pinata. Call back to another episode. <laughs> not a sequel. Right, right. Not a sequel. Another record. You're right. Um, but that is one of those records where I go, if you haven't been keeping up, you know, this is one of those records where I could be like, listen to this and and you will instantly kind of be brought up into the current, um, th- the best of rap right this now. This is what's good about rap now. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Drug yeah. dealer raps over crazy left field, totally, totally, beats. Totally, yes. And I, I thought that about Pinata too. I like, I know I just said it's not the same thing, but it's like... Um, but even then, though, it was slightly removed from all the influx of all the coke rap now. Totally. That's you know a good I mean? point. Right. Griselda, right. or at least I wasn't up on them, right. or if they were around back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 2014. Like, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Totally, totally. So so it's it's definitely music that's meeting this really interesting moment. And also for Freddie Gibbs, as a rapper, he's kind, of, he's kind of moved into... I don't, I don't understand how you properly rate him, because... People who I know who don't care about underground mm-hmm, rap mm-hmm. know who Freddie Gibbs is. It's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of him. Right, right. 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 But uh, his trajectory is just fascinating, man. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, Absolutely. The, the Freddie record that came out before was like a club, a club record. Totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. So, so I, it's, I, it, yeah. We didn't get into this with our guest, and maybe we should have, but um, he had a life experience, right? He went to jail. Um, That's right. In Sweden? In Austria. Austria, yeah, for 
rape. And, it, and a, a rape charge. He spent a couple weeks in, right. in jail. The charge was ultimately tossed out. Yep. If you were watching, and I don't watch this anymore because Jesus and Mero aren't involved, but Viceland had this show where he was talking, where they had uh, the B-level the B celebrities talking to the therapist. Mm-hmm. And he talk- and that's what actually made me start really paying attention to Dude because mm-hmm. he was like, he was kind of thoughtful in that, yeah, in that piece. Yeah. And so he's had this really interesting trajectory. He had a deal on Interscope, Freddie Gibbs. He had a deal on Interscope, recorded a bunch of stuff. It never came out. Um, and so he's kind of been in this weird nether realm of, of gangster rappers. Right. But I think the brilliance of Bandana, um, and I wasn't as big on Pinata, but uh, I think the brilliance of Bandana is he's bringing into uh, Mad Lib's universe right, right. Um, something that is really tight and cohesive. Mm-hmm. Mad Lib is all over the he's place. All over. Yeah, hip hop's right. worst editor. Totally. Yeah, yeah. He's got it's. I call it short attention span beat making. Totally, totally. Like he totally kind of just wants to jump from thing yeah. to thing. Loop, loop, loop. Yeah. Drums, loop, yeah. loop, yeah. loop. Vocal right. sample, loop, loop, yeah. loop. Uh, drums. Uh, yeah. un, Unquantized. And a lot of it is dope. Totally. Not, not totally. all of it. It would be impossible for the, all the of it. The weird random be. switch ups and the weird layered samples and stuff. And Freddie, I mean, and Gibbs is just so percussive. So, you know, yeah. when Mad Lib like, lets loose, like Gibbs is still on the metronome. Totally. Exactly. You know? And, it, and it, I think it, it tempers both of their totally. things because totally. I, I, um, I wasn't a huge fan of Gibbs had. The record before where he was, um, he was like Joe Levert on the cover. That's yeah, yeah. okay. So That's I, I was I'm glad about. we're back to that because I yeah. want to. I want to finish my point. I think, and I'm totally making this up because I've never heard him say this. That when you have a life experience like that, when you're like in a foreign country by yourself in jail, right. not knowing what's going to happen, right. like I don't know what happened with him and the woman. I don't know what. I don't know what happened, and it kind of doesn't matter because he got out of it. But um, I think he wanted to make a party record it's like mm. he was like he was yeah. like celebrating is, is yeah, what i what right. i was feeling I and so out. it was like a right a valedictory kind of mm-hmm. record for the for like he got his life back right and i would right. imagine life is pretty good for this like absurdly talented totally, handsome totally. dude who's like has a great yeah, rap yeah. career but he's right. kind of underground respected but he's it's hard to, money it's, it's right. hard you know? to it's hard to rate him so it's I'd, hard totally. I'd imagine he did some you know uh had some life experiences <laughs> after he got out of jail. That's all what I'm going to say. Oh, for sure. And yeah, then sure. he's ready to go back in the woodshed and right. do like the and Mad rap and thing rap totally. and just go like, give me 200 beats. I'm going to pick 20 of yeah. them. We'll take 10 totally. of them and just like go hard. Well, hard. well, the the piece from our guest, uh, Nathaniel Friedman, kind of gets into uh, Gibbs's approach to craft, which I think this is the connective tissue, right? Mad Lib, super uh, hip-hop respected underground producer. Freddie Gibbs, kind of street credibility guy. He's, he's done some different types of records. But he has an approach to, to craft that I think connects him to the underground. So that's, that's like the connective tissue. You can't have Mad Lib and, I don't know, fucking Jeezy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the same. Right, uh, right, right, Gibbs right. is a craftsman in terms of how he approaches it, even if his subject matter is not the typical sure. thing. Yeah, and he's I think a lyricist. He's yeah. a lyricist. He would never say that, but he's definitely a lyricist and a and a person who takes rap really seriously. Totally, and that, totally. I think that comes through on the record. Yeah, of, of yeah. And, and that gives him the the ability to like have two you know different feet in different worlds. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's really it's brilliant, and I almost wish some of our our older kind of rappers would take this approach of right. find find a producer who has a foot in another mm-hmm. lane mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know what i mean and yeah. i think i do yeah I, I love how this is their you know their big major um record deal and it still yeah. sounds muddy as fuck totally. you know what i mean yeah, yeah. um the, something that just came to mind and he's not uh, we we have debated on this show several times whether or not he's a rapper but it's like uh when anderson pock was starting to really bubble and then he dropped that album with knowledge yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, it's like, didn't have I, to do it. I'm still right, cool. Right, you know what I mean? Right. I'm not. I'm not just at Coachella. Right. <laughs> and I love that record, and yeah. I think it's probably one of his best works. And it's really good. But I'm trying to like reinforce your point: is it's really good to have someone else's point of view. And frankly, not to sound crass, someone else's audience. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think they're hitting some really interesting points. And I played it for a friend, Bandana, the record. I played it for a friend, my guy Jay Smitty, who is a rap fan, but is just, you know, not tapped in to kind of mm-hmm. what's going on. And it was just interesting to he- to to listen to it through somebody else's experience right, right. and go, 
oh yeah, you don't fuck with Griselda or any of this other shit. Like this is all new to you. Right, right. And and it was just really interesting. And I thought, you know, the ceiling for for Gibbs is just through the roof now. Yeah, I, totally, I, it's totally, like, totally. I really feel like he could be ascendant um, into that you know list of the the ten rappers that yeah. everybody talks about. I wonder if this is like. A stepping stone, or if this is it, though. Right, right. right. Uh, I mean, th- there's so many subcompartments of fandom in rap right now, and he's able to like to to hit all those spokes, you know, yeah. on that wheel. I was, but, but I see what you're saying. Is is this? Has he reached a ceiling? Is well, there a is there a bigger record than Bandana in his Dentaline? future? I don't know. So when when Bandana came out, we had our back and forths with people on Twitter and on Instagram, and a lot of this takes place in DM. Um, is this the album of the year? It's like on the on it's opening a strong weekend, candidate. It's, it's like, a strong candidate. damn, dude, this is right up 100%. there. This is this is one of the best crafted um, records of the year. And actually, it it had a couple of different vinyl releases, and I really appreciate how Egon and now again does limited merch mm-hmm. and pop ups, and they've really mastered that kind of like hype cycle without seeming seeming craven. Right. Um, just giving fans access to limited stuff. I've bought a couple of them. They're so expensive, but they're so cool. <laughs> um, silk screen covers and whatnot. But um, I just want to share a little anecdote about w- this record in particular is capturing people's imaginations. Um, Dave actually was nice enough to buy me a copy of it. And we were at our DJ night and I was just carrying it around because I didn't bring <laughs> records that night. So I'm like that dude with one record just cuddling it. So it. <laughs> everyone was just asking me where I'd have it on the table in front of me with my drink. And we're like, I'd be holding it under my arm. And everyone I talked to that night was like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, and I, I got a lot of weird, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of weird looks. Like, why are you carrying around one record? And also, what is it? And right. it was just interesting. Um, normal people don't know who Freddie Gibbs or mm-hmm. Madlib right. are, right. which is such an interesting insight into people's bizarre basicness for me because right. I've sure, sure. been, been knowing who Madlib is since the nineties, so, and right, you know right, Freddie right. Gibbs, right. you know, a little less than that, but you know, very prominent person in my. Right, hip hop consciousness. Yeah. You know what I mean. So they they are very much underground mm-hmm. um, artists. But this was released on a major label. It has the Quasimodo character on the cover, which a lot of people wanted to talk to me about. And even <laughs> even like hip hop adjacent people were like, "Oh, do they do a Quas feature on there?" And right. I was like, "No, it's just they." Actually, I don't think that Madlib would be ha- fucking crazy. Has any vocal moments on it that I can no, tell? I don't think no, so, no, it's just more about like they they've chosen the zebra as this emblem for this album and the last one and they like you know that's that's it's madlib quasimodo is madlib totally, you're talking totally. about him like he's a different person and you're driving me crazy <laughs> but 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 in their approach to the aesthetic for the album um i think it's really tapping new ground because i don't think ever before we've had something so street married with something that is so i don't i'm searching yeah, no, for the I word hear you, here i hear you Weird, weirdish, unapologetic, abstract, kind of kind of stoner beat, you know, type of rap shit. And the aesthetic that they went with, I think it's it's fucking brilliant. When I was in L.A. um, in June, you know, I saw multiple stickers for this and I'm like, I know what this Mm. is. I don't know if other people know what this is, but it's compelling, but it's compelling imagery or not. Mm -hmm. It makes Mm -hmm. you want to know what it is, which I think we talked about this at the time. They had a major label funded rollout. So they had some stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Matt, uh, Freddie Gibbs did those weird tours with the the, the drop top buses or what are they? Trucks in L.A. where they take you around Hollywood and like they had stickers and they had like they they got to do some stuff. The videos are crazy. Have you guys watched the videos? Yeah. 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 I like them. Yeah, totally. They're that one where um, he's like yelling at his farm hands. Yes. It's so good. Crime crime pays is is and I don't really watch a lot of videos, but I go crime pays. This is a video that that where the rapper gets it. And here's the thing. Right. Here's the thing. In the whole kind of trap street thing, the aesthetic and the imagery is so static. I am a person with my shirt off and here's a table full of money mm-hmm. and here's weed and here's some right. fake guns in the back. And it's so monolithic in its imagery that an anybody an ass. ass, which is my favorite part. <laughs> but, um, you know, you have Freddie Gibbs coming out and he like runs a weird farm and right. he's in the barn right. Right. fucking rapping. Right. And it's almost like he. The 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 approach to this record is they're they're kind of in on it. They're yeah, in no, on 100%. the joke. You right, know what right. I mean? He's just a gangster dude, but wink wink. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like totally. I, I get how how kind of weird this is. And I never know the album titles. Sorry, guys, but um, the jet ski one. 
it's like a lot of jet skiing. Oh yeah, that's right. And with it, the Anderson it's, Pop. it's like a movie. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like I'm like, I think it's he, called Giannis. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, I'm like, is he kind kind of trying to get acting roles? Is he like showing that he right, can act right, a little right, bit? Because right. that actually makes sense as kind of a next step. Well, a lot a lot of the videos for Freddie, the previous album that we were right. talking about, it's like. He's straight acting. Yeah. It's, and like, his, it's like a director is like, I need you to do this role. I need you right. to do that role. And he's a sort of perfect he's black template. already unbuttoning yeah. his shirt. Yeah, and, totally. and, <laughs> and his social media kind of persona, again, he's he's taking, you know, when he's rapping, it's, it's straight gangster shit. And you're kind of really like, right. okay, he's really serious about this and it seems authentic. But the way he's presenting his image, he's got these jokey characters he does mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. on social media. Right. It's There's a certain... Not, I don't want to say unseriousness, but it, it's it's a type of rap that isn't taking itself super super seriously. Right. Where then, yeah. where other folks like, for instance, a future, it's just like you you in order to get into it, you have to be like life has no meaning and only drugs matter, and it's a, just a really really mm-hmm. dark mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. It's somehow Freddie Gibbs manages through Mad Libs production to juggle the darkness with lighthearted things with creative things with right, things that right. keep moving like totally, half man totally. half cocaine yeah it's yeah. just I, I found it so fascinating especially in uh, people um check it out with our nathaniel friedman interview but you know like when he finally did the interview and he went to his pad yeah and how yeah. it was just like this stripped down like um what what, what did he compound yeah compounding I mean, yeah hilarious dude yeah um, I don't know if you guys know this, but this was a thing I learned during this album rollout. Like, if you want to know if Freddie Gibbs really did the stuff he talks about, he put his brother through medical school. Right, right. Okay. Not from rapping. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I don't think, because at that point, he hadn't had He had a lemonade stand uh, yeah. that was Lots very lucrative. Mic- microwaves were involved. Yeah, yeah. and his <laughs> brother looks exactly like him. So oh, I, really? whatever I read this on, they had some like article, and there's like a Dr. Gibbs or whatever. And that it's is like, so It's like Freddie dope. Gibbs is holding the clipboard Sick. with the like, um, That's dope. That's scrubs. He sure you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, actually, you are half man, half cocaine. We figured out. Um, wow. Yeah, that... I mean, it, it just, Crime you know, pays. <laughs> wow. <laughs> At times. Yeah. So, so there's definitely like, um, I think a moment that they've captured, you know, if you had to pin me down right now, I would say, Album you know, year? nine months in, I, it, it's hard to argue that it's, it's not. a strong contender. Yeah. It's hard to argue that it's not. We'll see in December. Uh, stay tuned for the hundredth episode, uh, dad by rap yep, awards yep. coming very soon, but we, it'll be hard to unseat that. Uh, that's the, like the forerunner of yeah. the Heisman right now. Like he's he, I think he's out in front. It's I think the, both it's of them the are. flashy choice. And last totally, year Daytona totally. won, even though I wanted Armin Hammer to win. And this year Freddie right. Gibbs will win, even though I want Billy, Billy Woods, Woods to win. Yeah. But I'm just like you know, obviously well, the the more nerdy I'm like a, the, and the emo side of things. Yeah. Totally, totally, yeah. totally. Backwards booster totally. club. Yeah, but no. as a sort of like wide swath of a pick, I think that that one's a good choice. It's it's safe. I my my other one would be Benny. It. Yeah, Benny's two records. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Jesus, I know. Benny, Billy, Freddie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is there any rapper who doesn't have a white person's name <laughs> that you <laughs> that you're willing to co-sign? Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Ma, ladies and gentlemen. That was sick. Okay. Um, uh, dope. All right. Dope. I want to do a little preamble for this interview. Sure. So I'm not sure if our general listenership is really up on. Um, Nathaniel Friedman's work, um, he founded um, and with a group of people, but generally it's thought of to be his blog, uh, the basket blog, uh, Free Darko. So he is kind of responsible for changing the tone of blogging and like the discourse around the NBA and like taking kind of a view Wisconsin on um, – basketball that like just completely changed how we think about it like there would be no grantland there would be no ringer mm-hmm. there would be no um you know so many different records right. or i'm sorry writers came out of that kind of collective of and went on to like prominent careers in like journalism and like blogging and frankly twitter and like mm-hmm. so i just want to make sure that there's a little bit of an understanding that this dude is a total pioneer in that space also a huge music head record collector you're going right. to hear a little bit more out of that amazing twitter follow um kind of a misanthrope which i <laughs> i guess i don't <laughs> know great. i don't know what i was expecting but right. um i wasn't expecting a ray of sunshine to be <laughs> the quite Friedman. so dour um but we nathaniels have to stick together so <laughs> yeah, I was about to say nate uh, on nate crimes yeah <laughs> um anyway i just wanted to give that little bit of preamble and of course you can 
tee yeah. up the uh, interview in your inimitable style. <laughs> yeah, so we we were definitely fortunate to have Nathaniel Friedman on. Uh, we definitely told this this line of trying to work basketball into the pod without and, having you turn it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so and so this was definitely an interview that we kind of sought out for a while, and we've mentioned uh, different tweets of his on this program. So we're definitely pleased uh, that he could join us. And without further ado, here is our interview with Nathaniel Friedman. Dad Bod Rap Pod, once again, as always, we have guests who shape, create, and notate culture. Today is no different. Uh, we are joined on the line by Nathaniel Friedman, a journalist, hip-hop enthusiast, a sports fan. How's it going? Pretty good. How are y'all doing? Uh, good, living, man. Thanks for asking. Living the dream. Living the dream. Um, so thanks for coming on the program. We're definitely real fans of your Twitter account. I think we've had several bits on here where we talk about things that you've put on Twitter. <laughs> um, so it's good to have you act on the actual podcast instead of just stealing your content. Um, so we, we read the GQ um, Freddie Gibbs interview. Um, around bandana which is an excellent piece very well written by the way yeah we we Thank definitely you. loved it um yeah can you just maybe to start just talk a little bit about yeah meeting freddie gibbs and your impressions you kind of lead into the article with that but how was that it was weird because I, I i don't know how familiar uh you guys are with the social how familiar everyone is with the social but he's mm -hmm. kind of like a Goofy. loose cannon yeah, yeah. and and uh his his manager Lambo is Molly Lambert's brother, and so mm -hmm. there's like a lot of overlap between people I know and or not overlap, but like a lot of people I know have sort of been around him at various times. And you know, I was basically led to believe that it was going to be like a laugh riot, <laughs> and, and 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 then and also there were some older interviews that Jeff Weiss had done with him that mm -hmm. I was reading where he just like spins all these like super colorful yarns about like street life and just generally talking a ton of shit and not really caring about what he says or who hears it. And then I got there and it was just like a very weird scene too, because, you know, he's, he's not like a mega successful rapper, but he's right. someone who doesn't, you know, he's on the festival circuit. He's, you know, he's, he's pretty much, I think as successful as like an indie rapper. Can be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who doesn't, you know, not, not one who has like, you know, decades long regional strength, but just someone who's, you know, been come up, through that world and not like gone the major label rap. Mm -hmm. And it was just weird because I don't know what I thought it was going to be like, but he, it was just like this fairly small ranch house in the Hills. There was like nothing there, nothing in there, almost nothing on the walls, almost no furniture. Um, when I like rolled up, like everyone was like very like confused and cagey and like, kind of like, was like, what the fuck are you doing here? Nice. And not, not, not because it was me, but because they were like, why is there a person here that we right. don't know about? And the whole thing was just like, and it was very like compoundy almost. Mm. Um, and I just kind of, it was just weird because, you know, you kind of like sort of maybe expect like an older rapper who's made it to have like a little more of, you know, for lack of a better word, like a home or something. Right. But right. it was just, it was like super stripped down. Um, and, you know, I come to find out like he sleeps in the basement and they just record around the clock. Wow. Um, and, and, then, and then the other thing that was weird is like the interview I said this in the piece, like I had this whole sort of thing I was going to lead in with, which was like where the name Freddie Gibbs came from. Mm -hmm. And he just completely shut it down. And it turns out that, you know, it was it was from uh, from Black Caesar. And then he legally changed his name to that at some point. And there was another story that someone had told me that was apocryphal about how like his dad was like a former cop who became like a drug dealer. And when um his dad got arrested he gave them the name freddie gibbs to throw off you know his old colleagues from the trail i don't know where that came from it's a great story but apparently <laughs> it's totally untrue uh but um and and he just was like not having it and he was super serious and i wondered kind of how much of it has to do with the fact that like i'm just now a 41 year old like whitish looking person who like 
you know, dresses kind of dad-like, albeit in, like, a nice way. And I just, like, mm-hmm. don't in any way come across as, like, someone who would know what was happening or what the uh, deal was. Okay. Um, and, and, but then, like, and so I sort of, you know, I did this interview, and he just, like, really wanted to talk about, like, how the industry worked and, you know, the problems with, like, streaming and revenue mm. models and, like, all this stuff that, like, you know, and like the, you know, like the, um, you know, the, the great migration and subsequent like deindustrialization of like Gary, Indiana. And it was like, it was, it was and an other gangster interview. things. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it, it was like a really like smart, interesting interview. And afterwards, like his sound man was like, you know, he ended up like chiming in a couple of times and he was like, yeah, I mean, clearly that, that was good because we all ended up like talking and it wasn't just like you firing questions at him. Right. And then when I got back and like looked at the transcript, I was like, wait a minute, like this plays so straight. Yeah, and it was just like so night and day compared to what I thought I was gonna get. Um, And I kind of, I kind of figured subsequently that it wasn't so much that he was like, "Oh, you're lame. I'm not gonna give you the time of day." I think he just sized me up and was like, "This is a serious older journalist from a serious publication. I'm not Mm. gonna like talk about World Star or whatever the equivalent of that is." And like, sorry, one, one last thing. And then, and you know, and I think this is sort of like an interesting thing with like older rappers when you interview them, because like they very much want to be kind of like respectable, like businessman types at this point in their career, mm. you know, like they're, they're not, they really don't want to like show up in public when they're like trying to make their like one big last move before they just like become straight up businessmen. Like they don't really want to come across as like still just like wiling out or whatever. Uh, so, so he kind of, you think he read your perceived seriousness and that's, he wanted to do the wall street journal interview and, and not the, uh, <laughs> and not the, yeah, I, yeah. Not the world star. I, yeah. I totally think that. And I mean, it's sort of like, it, it kind of reminds me of like years ago, uh, also for GQ when I was like, you know, younger and I guess dressed better. I, I went to the Oklahoma city and was doing a story on the thunder and I was in the locker room and they like found out where I was from and they just like instantly like went into their like, uh, I'm a young, like up and coming fashion influencer, even though that oh. term didn't even really exist in the NBA yet. Like they just like wanted to like, I don't know. It's like p- portraying a certain kind of like side of themselves that they think the publication would be right. into. Right. And you're like, Russ, take your mesh tank top off. <laughs> this is not what this is about. Um, Wow. He was like really muted back then. That was weird. It's like Ibaka and like like Eric Maynard and like even Durant to some degree. But Russ was like not Russ yet, style wise. Like they all kind of also wore the same clothes because they think they had the same stylist. And yeah, he was he was not doing that yet. So that that was also a funny note that he subsequently became like the fashion god of the NBA and like GQ was this big relationship with him and, and then it was just like, Yeah, just a dude. What's what's weirder, uh, interviewing rappers or interviewing ball players, or is it, or is there, is there a synergy there, or are they kind of the similar animal? Um, I don't. I, I it's hard for me to say because I'm kind of like a by design semi inept, over enthusiastic interviewer <laughs> where I just sort of try and chat with the person about the thing that we have in, that we have a common interest in. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, I've never really been one to try and, like, ask hard-hitting questions or, like, get the scoop or anything that would, you know, be, like, quote-unquote difficult journalistically. Okay. Um, I And also, you know, you, you could say, well, with, with athletes, you can default back to just talking about sports, you know, and not have any sort of, like, larger picture or any sort of, you know, like, uh, having, like, a overlap with culture, you know, thought going on there. But, you know, yeah, with, like, rappers, you can just talk about the music business. So, um I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I've definitely interviewed more or NBA players than I have rappers, but I think it's it's to go back to my initial point. It used to be similar for me. And so far as if I just could like make it clear that I was not like someone who didn't know what the fuck was going on, okay. then they would be comfortable. But now I think I just read as someone who doesn't know what the fuck is going on or someone who's just like not going to like, you know, be a youngish person who's like on their side necessarily. Interesting. So so there's like a perceived thing with with age and how you show up right where where maybe you think folks are on on guard like is this guy trying to get me do you kind of get that energy i don't i mean no i think i think there's definitely especially especially with nba players around certain kinds of reporters that are like that yeah um i think at this point in my life it's sort of more like i can pretty quickly send the signal that you know i 
understand kind of like what they're doing and what their field is on like a good deep level. And I appreciate it. And I'm not just like some uninformed or some like gotcha style you know, mm. interviewer, but I just don't think realistically, like at this point, anyone who's like, you know, younger and black and like rich and successful and, you know, creative and all that stuff is going to like, look at me and be like, Oh, this person is a peer of mine. In any <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Cause I am none of those things. Um, hey. hey, Nathaniel, I got a, qu- a couple quick questions here. Um, okay. One, I, you know, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in journalism, sort of what sparked, um, you know, your interest in it? And and two, um, you know, with the career you've had so far, um, which which pieces have you done that stand out to you personally? I like actually had two starts in journalism because I I don't know. I don't really know when this happened, but at some point I got it in my head in high school that I wanted to be a music critic which now is like, I mean, I guess like now because of like, you know, the internet, people think that, but I have no idea what put that in my head in like 1994 or whatever. (laughs) Um, But, uh, and so like, you know, I wrote stuff in my high school newspaper and then I went to college, I wrote. And then um, coming out of, uh, I guess my junior year, I just was like, oh, do I actually want to try and do this? And I think, you know, journalism was already starting to fall apart then, but I still knew that, like, you know, if you had an internship, you knew the right people, like, you could get pipelined into getting work. Mm-hmm. And I hit up this guy, Francis Davis, who's, um, he's, he's like, jazz writer. He's been around for decades. He hasn't really written much in the last, you know, long while, but he was a, he was a contributor to the Atlantic for a while. That was maybe like the highest. And he was also like a voice columnist, you know, he's just like from that era of music writer. And I sort of became his research assistant. And then he subsequently, once I graduated, like hooked me up with like, I don't think, no, he didn't hook up with the Philadelphia weekly. I started writing for them. And then he hooked me up with the Inquirer. I started writing for them. And then at one point I actually was like, quasi making a living writing about music which is kind of inconceivable Wild. now <laughs> Wild. yeah and then but then um then that started to fall apart uh and i needed a career so i decided to go to grad school that was a disaster but while i was in grad school on a whim me and my friend started this nba blog and somehow that like turned into you know a stretch of quasi making a living writing about basketball mm-hmm. and like publishing two books so like I've had sort of two kind of flukish entrees into it and I'm not sure how I ended up where I am now, but it seems to be like somehow the sum total of those two, those two paths. Um, As for like what I'm proud of, I don't know, man, like I am one of these people that like hates everything I've written (laughs) with like one or two exceptions. Mm -hmm. And when you've been like writing, you know, I mean, it's like when you've been writing, online for a long time and for so long like content has been kind of like disposable or there have been quick yeah. turnarounds or yeah. edits have been bad yep. there's so much shit online with my name on it that's just terrible mm-hmm. and and there's so many times that i got like really excited about something or someone and wrote something that subsequently i look at it and i cringe or i'm like that was totally wrong or i find that i contradicted <laughs> myself on the same subject like six months later because i changed my mind <laughs> i mean so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's like I, I kind of like periodically think about this because you know when I have to send someone proof that I'm a credible human being who's accomplished something, I kind <laughs> of feel like I should include some links. But I don't know. The, the, I mean, the Gibbs thing is actually maybe something I'd probably put in there. Okay, um, right just and because was- like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it turned out really well. You know, it's like a reported thing, which a lot of what I've done isn't because I'm of that like post blog generation. Um, and it's just like, I think also like I've, you know, to keeping with the thing I just said about like fucking up all the time and then regretting it, like, I think I've gotten a lot better over the years about not overreaching and not being mm-hmm. careless and not sort of talking out of my ass. And it's taken me a long time to kind of start to purge all that stuff from my writing. But I think like, that's that's not a piece that goes out on a lot of limbs that I don't feel I could like back up or substantiate. Mm. Um, I, you know, there's this is and it's not you know there's there's a certain level of I think like realism to it where I was just like this is a profile with a record review inside of it. Right, and right. Mm-hmm. I'm not reinventing the wheel. Right. I'm not proposing like a grand unified theory of everything. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna work with what I got and make something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
that stuff. Yeah, and it totally, yeah, totally, totally comes across um, in that interview. Kind of, kind of riffing off what you just said, though. What's your worst take, either rap <laughs> or basketball? <laughs> right? Like, I, I thought, uh, what's the kid? I thought the Thabit kid was going to be good one day. And <laughs> that's like, yeah, Hashim Thabit. That was my worst oh, wow. kind of basketball take. What's your worst kind of music critic and or basketball take that you're just like, dude, why do I think that? Um, the, well, I mean, again, I've had innumerable basketball takes that were bad and the saving grace of some of them was like your have take. They were about such obscure players that no one cares now. Right. Uh, right. A, a weird exception to that is my like long time standing for Anthony Randolph, who dude. I think still functions as this, like for certain people, they're like, no, he's the one that got away. Yeah. Um, I agree. But I mean, as evidenced by like how he's tearing it up in wherever he is now, Europe, I guess. And for some reason will not ever get invited back to the NBA wonder why that is actually i don't know why it is it's weird i don't the only person he pissed off was don nelson that's what which makes say. no sense because he's like a dream player for don i don't know the whole thing's fishy yeah. Um, yeah. but like uh i one of my like my the, the one that like haunts me because it was so wrong is i did not think steph was going to be good oh wow <gasps> I, I just i just like and 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 i in my defense part of it had to do with the fact that like I did not think he was going to be a point guard, like sure. in a pure sense. And this pure was still guard. a time when like, although there was a lot changing around how like positions were working and who was doing what, like the pure point guards, you know, this was like, it was like the year it was like peak Chris Paul. Like people were like, right. yeah, that kind of player right. still has a deep role to play in, you know, in a system. And I just was like, yeah, this guy's not a point guard. Sure. And then I was like, you Minnesota know, was like, agreed yeah. <laughs> <What>? twice. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, of course, you know, he ends up, like, revolutionizing the position in certain ways, so I, I was right, kind of. Yeah, um, yeah, not really a point guard. I, 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 I can agree with you on that, yeah. And, I mean, and in and, and my defense, though, too, it's like, who really, like, for Steph to be as, it sort of gets circular, because, like, for Curry to have been as formidable a weapon as he's ended up being, you had to sort of reimagine the whole game, Yeah. which, obviously, to some degree, Mark Jackson, but certainly, like, Kerr realized that like oh you have a guy who can change the game in such a way that he's that that kind of, basically it's like no we 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 lacked the paradigm at the time Steph came out to realize how good Steph could be right and he he had the skill to do that but it took someone seeing that like oh shit this is that valuable if you just tweak things all of a sudden like all these other assumptions and like all these like old models go out the window and you're the best team in the NBA wow um he also so just looks so young. It's just like he wasn't fully developed coming out of college, so it was hard to believe in this baby-faced kid who's swimming in his jersey, no matter how good exactly. he shoots, yeah. right? And, and like, he doesn't, you know, he does not have great foot speed. You know, it's just like there's – he just didn't seem – I was just like, yeah, that's – and also I have a long-standing hatred of college basketball, which now just seems weird because <laughs> the two have nothing to do with each other. But right. back when they were still sort of like – a guy comes up through college ball and is anointed the next big thing in the NBA. And it's just like, you saw it go wrong enough and you saw it sort of slant in favor of like these very college players a lot. I just was like, fuck this guy. Um, <laughs> great take. Great take. Um, I, my worst rap take, I mean, I've had a lot of them um, on Twitter because partly because I just like overreact to things and get excited. But the one that will like haunt me, because I just felt like it was such a core betrayal of everything I am as a person was when, um, when, um, blah, 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 fuck, what did the when future dropped the two albums on the same day? Hendrix and right. was uh, it dirty oh. Sprite two? No, 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 no. Nope. The one, the two, one's the R and B one. Oh, Hendrix. Yeah. And the other one is like totally forgettable in my mind. It has mask off on it though, which people right. seem to like, but I guess like it, like, that out like again this is a very minor moment in history relatively speaking so i don't know why i'm like saying this is comparable to getting steph curry's arrival wrong <laughs> but i just remember like um when those came out and people were more more about hendrix people were like oh this is great blah, blah blah and i think for some reason it may have been like late i just like caught caught up in the moment like i basically said that like uh that i thought that like ds2 and you know, the mixtapes in that era that I thought those were like better than this. And in my mind, even better than like 
pre like dark, dark, dark future. I was like, that just shows my shortcomings and flaws as a human being. <laughs> Which like absolutely now, like I, you know, now that I have my wits about me, you know, like that stretch of future is like far and away not just like my favorite future, but like the best future. But right, like right. at the time, I think I was just having some sort of weird like self loathing thing where I was like, oh, this like dark, drugged out music. I just like it because of who I am, and it's not actually meaningful or valuable to anyone who doesn't like, you know, have demons or something. So that's okay. my bad rap take. Okay. Um, I would like to talk about music, and it doesn't have to be about rap necessarily. You and I were kind of going back and forth um, when we were setting up the interview, and you said you've been into some rare groove stuff lately, <laughs> and like you live in a record rich city of Portland. Can you like kind of tell us what your. Like like when I was really heavy into record collecting, I had a cycle. I would like hit this flea market and this shop and this private collector and like kind of like read this blog and this message board. And like that was my way of intaking music. Do you have something like that set up in your current life? Like do you have a, a, a rotation? I mean, it's, you know, as we all know, there are no records out there anymore in any fun way. And just like the whole thing of like, yeah, I'll go to this place and see what I find. There'll be something there or like, oh, I heard about you know, this place that's out here and I never go there, but I'll probably find something. Now it's just like if I'm lucky, I will buy something, you know, for full price that I wanted. Right. And yes. and which is like and if I'm unlucky, I'll just feel bad for the shop because I want to like support brick and mortar record businesses and buy something I don't want and just sell it on Discogs the same day, which happens. <laughs> um, and then, so it's I mean, very real. I, I, well, and there's a, there's a thing I realized too that's also really fucked up is like I used to only use online to buy things that like were like very special or like I couldn't find anywhere else or right. blah blah blah. And now I just feel like I just like look at Discogs a couple times a day and then maybe go to a shop and buy something you know once or twice a week but my like actual sort of like perusing for records is just like refreshing items i want on discogs a few times a day right which is depressing as opposed to like yeah the halcyon days of like oh if i drive 15 minutes there's a ton of records no one else will have gone through them recently and there will be something that i get a good deal on now right. it's like if i'm really bored i'll you know drive 20 minutes i don't know i like got like uh, on top the moments record today for like not a horrible price and i was like wow my day is transformed my week is transformed <laughs> that's dope so what are we talking about for a collection is there a record room is there a basement are there storage units what are we talking about oh god no i'm like the opposite i like like before i'm like pretty what the fuck's that woman's name who tells people to throw things marie out? kondo yeah, <laughs> marie yeah kondo yeah. rap game marie kondo yeah, yeah. I, i've been like on that for years um and it's I, I mean, I kind of, I mean, fuck, like, I have like 400 records now. I wow. mean, they're all good. Damn. I'm, but... I'm actually impressed. That's amazing. And you just yeah, kind of I mean, cycle through them. You move them through the collection and you spend your time with them and then send them on their way. That's, that's it. There's stuff I'll like never get rid of. There's stuff I'm just like, if I really wanted this again, I could get it. There's yeah, stuff yeah. I'm just like. It's kind of ubiquitous I, now. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff that as much as I, you know, don't like saying this, there's stuff I'm just like, yeah, like. I don't need to hear this ever again. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. it's a thing. I get it. <laughs> and, it's, and, and, and I think I think the other thing too is like someone told me once that there's actually like some weird like uh, like there's like some like loose affiliated ring of like Japanese collectors who basically practice this like as a philosophy where they're like all they do is trade with each other. They all own 300 records. They're mm. all insanely heavy. And they just like rotate their collection in and out all right. the time. Wow. I wouldn't say I'm quite doing that, but there is something about like having like a manageable amount of them where I like know what I have. I know what I want to listen to. I can find it. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would love to get down to a number like that. Those are your records. Like those are your lifetime records that you'll, you, that's the base of it and the rest can come and go. That's, yeah, that's wild. That's almost un American. <laughs> and it's, it's and the non, yeah, I mean, the non hoarding it's, of things. Though, though, to be fair, like, you know, Again, this is kind of like my very nihilistic um, adaption, adaption, adjustment to like the fact that you have just, I've just given up on finding things for cheap anymore. Now I'm like, yeah. I don't fucking care. Like, I will just pay a lot of money for this. I can't like afford to spend money on like some of these things like I do. Yeah, no one right. can. But I'm just like, oh, fuck it. Like, this is $100. I guess I'll get it. Right, and right. what that means though is like, yeah, like I have like, 
a very small and like decently valuable collection. So it's not like I just like have things I like really love and cherish. It's like sort of has depressingly turned into like it's a little baseball cardy at times. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because that's because that's where records are at right now, right? Like everything is is properly priced or insanely marked up. Like the <laughs> the gym kind of era of getting something dope for two dollars is is it gone? Is it gone? Gone? It's not gone. Gone because you have if you're on the grind, I think it's possible. But it's more like hitting a vein, like someone who recently passed away, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yep. But mm-hmm. if, you, if you're lucky and like you get there before the record store. There are still collections to be bought, but then you got to deal with thousands of records you don't want to keep yeah. the ones that you do. That's a lot of Fleetwood. I, I think it's complicated. I yeah, I and, and there was also like a cool time where like you could. I mean, I don't know. We're getting kind of in the weeds with this, and I always get embarrassed when I talk about records for too long. But there, there was like a cool time where you could roll up on a store and pretty say pretty confidently that something would be mispriced in your favor mm-hmm. yeah yeah feel mm-hmm. like you accomplished it. and not that like life consists solely of getting over on other people but um you know it, it's american deal though yeah <laughs> well it just it's just like you know it made you feel like yeah like you'd accomplish something or that like a little nice thing happened in your day and just the feeling of paying market value for a commodity mm-hmm. that it, that is clearly like very enmeshed in this exchange in this like whole world of commerce and like everyone thinks about them that way it's just mm-hmm. depressing yeah no 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 it totally <laughs> is it was it was a it was a great day when only a certain amount of people understood why this record was dope and now that's right, kind of, right, yeah right. that's out the window no un- unfortunately speaking of other of other uh sad things i we wanted to get you on this program to talk about basketball which is <laughs> <laughs> i'm not going to front um, NBA season, 48 days out. Uh, do, How you... do you think the Warriors are going to be? I'm just throwing it in. Thank you. Thank you for asking the question. I felt craven asking it, but thank you. Thank you, Nate. What is your prognostication for the Warriors who I've seen people say they're an eighth seed, they're a sixth seed. I'm a homer. It's hard for me to look at it that way. What, what do you think basketball, uh, prognosticator? Well, I think, I mean, it kind of, I mean, obviously a lot of it depends on when Clay comes back. Right, and I don't even remember what he hurt because like everyone got hurt so many times at this point. I don't remember. He blew the ACL. He did. Yeah. Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah, it was the ACL. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, that's an injury where like it there seems to be like you know it's obviously not you know it's really funny to like remember when like you know when we were like kids and like someone would tear their ACL, they were like careers are over. Yeah, yeah, and and you know now you can come back from it in like five months or something if you're lucky, Mm -hmm. but um. So when Clay comes back, it's going to be big. Um, I'm like very bullish on Russell. I just like think yeah. he's. I think I think he's kind of underrated as a smart player. Okay. You know, yeah. I think people just think he's like this, like Goofy you know, kid. and like a high scoring guard. You know, who's Man. like going to always need the ball in his hands or something. I just think having you know, having watched him and also like knowing how the Nets are coached and sort of what how their system runs, like you can't be stupid and like play in that system. Like it's right. a smart team. Right. It was a smart team. There's also a theory that I've heard a couple of people floating, which is like, you know, you kind of have to um, believe in kind of what is it like the incumbent theory or something mm-hmm. where it's like the Warriors have been the best team in basketball for a while now. And like, yes, they lost Kevin Durant. And yes, they'll be playing half the season without Clay Thompson. <laughs> but like, you know, the, the, and yes, like they've lost Iguodala. I mean, yeah, but you know, there, there is still a lot there that was constitutive of a team that was, right. you know, the best team in basketball. Right. And to think that like, you know, if you believe in like intangibles and like culture and, you know, mm-hmm. it's like how many times has the Spurs like lost exactly. everyone? Lost half <laughs> exactly. Their team and and I was like, they're done. And they were, they were not done. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, you know, anyone who thinks the Warriors is just like, oh, they had Curry and like, oh, then they got Durant. Like, it's pretty fucking stupid because that's obviously (laughs) just like from top to bottom, like to sound really like old, a world class organization. Yeah. We uh, have a little bar argument among our group of friends. Was um, the new ownership group or Steph more transformative for the Warriors? Do you have an opinion on that? Holy shit. Mm. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna say Steph. Yeah, like, Joe Lacob can't shoot. <laughs> no, I mean it's just it's just like all you know, all these things. You know, obviously, like the world they built up around that team 
is is fucking state of the art and everyone there seems to be like really good at their job and not saying that in like a complimentary way but just almost in a scary way <laughs> um but yeah i mean they're with with steph is really kind of like the big bang of that team like yeah. if you don't have steph and if you don't sort of like instigate everything with with him becoming the center of the known universe like none of this pops off in the same way like then you just true. have like a well-run basketball team true that True that. So who is who is yours though going into this season? Who is your prohibitive favorite? Are you you a Clippers guy? You I'm a Clippers hard? guy. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's hard to, hard to bet against that right now. Yeah. But it, it's the opposite of the incumbent theory. They've never won anything, so like I have to see it. Well, Kwai Kwai makes makes yeah, the impossible the possible. He did just win one thing <laughs> from yeah, the fucking true. Raptors of all people. And, and and I think I think like the thing I I, always, I keep thinking about the Clippers is like yes. They haven't won anything, but they did make the playoffs while they were rebuilding. Yeah. Right. It was pretty formidable. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have to figure like if you were the eighth seed and then you got two of the top five players in the universe, like you're sitting pretty, pretty, especially <laughs> when I don't really think. I mean, who else is? I mean, Raptors won a title, but they lost Kawhi. Right. Um, you know. I don't know. We can just tick through everything, but like, I, there's not another team that LeBron, jumps out. I'm I'm being devil's advocate because I hate the Lakers. But and are I'm we not, saying we're the, not Rockets the, fans? So. No, we're not Rockets <laughs> fans. But LeBron and AD is there some kind of like superstar zeitgeist that they can capture in in run last this time? I I mean, they're just. I mean, it's again, weird. I'm have been wrong about many things and I'm like really deficient when it comes to like X's and O's stuff because I just don't, I don't know. That just bores me sometimes, <laughs> but I just feel like, I don't know. Like I would take, this is someone's going to like skewer me for this. And I guess we should get ready to have this on like, what's that account? Like bad takes exposed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ol, uh, cold takes exposed. Cold. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel like I would rather have Leonard and, George at this point in their careers. Yeah, then they I, 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 yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I think I think they they play they're gonna they play together like more seamlessly. They like like LeBron LeBron and LeBron and A D like compliment each other if you are like a seven year old thinking about basketball. <laughs> if you're like Bill, <laughs> you know, it's like LeBron passes A D dunks. You can't run that play every time down the floor. Gosh. LeBron can't even really handle the ball, so it's not like or shoot, so you don't have like a ferocious pick and roll situation. You know, it's it's just like, yeah, they're both really athletic big guys who score a lot. Whereas Man. I think you could actually like if you watch Kawhi and like George George is also like so underrated in yeah, terms of is. like how he plays off the ball, how he like passes. Like he he's you know, Kawhi at this point, because he was a spur, I think everyone's like, Oh, the unselfish, like blah blah. And yeah. it's like, no, Kawhi likes to shoot. Yeah. And yep. Kawhi takes a ton of shots and he basically is an ISO player who doesn't dribble much. Right. But George is like going to be great for him because like George doesn't George, George is like one of the best players I've ever seen who isn't a pure shooter who doesn't need the ball, who doesn't need the ball in his hands at all times. Mm. Like, like Clay, you understand why he doesn't need the ball in his hands a lot right. because he just like pops off immediately. Yeah. But like George can like not touch the ball and then get it with like three seconds left and still create. It's like pretty amazing. So, so we're doomed to a Clipper, a Clipper dynasty. That's that's a tough one. <laughs> Better than the Lakers, though. And I like, I want for the record, Lakers fans, you are seven years old. It has been or, <laughs> it has been ordained by Nathaniel Friedman that your basketball IQ is of a seven-year-old. All right, two quick things I want to wrap up. I know you don't. You said you don't want to watch college basketball, but do you have a, a thought on what Zion's rookie year will be like? Um, I think it's weird with him man because like he's clearly going to be very good but i think and i think it's good that the sort of initial hype around him kind of dissipated a little mm -hmm. because i think you know like he's just he was coming in with like solely on the strength of like how marketable he was and how famous right. he was and like people were saying like oh this is the next lebron and it's like no, no. yeah like no. as 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 like a as like a you know a, a media and like hype thing maybe but in his case it's like just because like he looks really cool when he dunks right and there's a long history of people who could dunk who like came in and were touted as the next well Jordan who like then did Harold Miner Harold Miner yeah but I think I think Jared Ryder is amazing um, <laughs> but I think 
I think uh, I think with Zion, like the, the sort of best case thing for him that I think would really be like him exceeding expectations would be what happens with him defensively. Okay. Because that team's that Pelicans are going to be like really weird and interesting, and they can like potentially run a pretty flexible defense. And if he basically plays sort of, I mean, this is this may seem silly to say given that it's like one of the most singular players ever if he played like a draymond like role right where he kind of switched around did some quarterbacking like you know like he could be a very good versatile defender and then i think on offense like you know he's not just a dunker and he's big enough like strong enough that he can play in the post he can shoot some i just don't think i just think it's good that people are no longer and you know pro- i don't know he could not win rookie of the year that would also not surprise me interesting yeah. All I don't right. know. I, I think I think I think he'll be fun, but I think like it's good that we're not expecting him to change the world. Right on. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity if you wanted to um, to plug Victory Journal. I feel like it's a little underread. It's a beautifully designed website, especially the way it like syncs to mobile. Um, can you just kind of tell people what it's about and what your role is there and what you guys are trying to accomplish? Yeah. So Victory um, Victory is. So I mean, the thing that no one seems to know about me or care about me is I actually have a day job. Um, <laughs> I work for like a, a sort of branding ish agency called double day and Cartwright. We've like done some fairly cool things over the years. We don't seem to do things that are horrendously evil in the world. Um, but victory journal, um, do you guys know Chris Eisenberg? He, uh, he didn't know Moss like way back in the day. I don't um, know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a t-shirt line. I mean, you've seen the shirts I'm sure, but this yeah. was like, this is like 15 years ago, but um, he he sort of started Victory along with this guy Aaron Amaro, who's kind of the art side, and they basically were like, let's just make a really like cool, poetic, artsy sports magazine, mm. and it kind of existed for a while, like as a largely visual thing, and they got a lot of really good photographers to shoot for it. Um, you know, people were like getting work off of shooting for Victory, so it meant that people would shoot for it for you know for cheap, and then at some point, you know, sort of this has been an ongoing thing for the last few years have been like, let's get the writing up to snuff to where the, cause it's like, you know, it, I don't know if y'all have seen the print copy, but like we published it as like this huge broadsheet. It's like enormous. It's really good paper. It like, it was basically a big art book we published twice a year. Wow. And I think, I think kind of what, um, cause I basically co-edit it with uh, Kate Perkins and sort of what we were doing that a couple other people before us have been doing like Sam Hockley Smith was there kind of before we got there was basically trying to get the writing up to that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been cool to, it's been cool to try and do that. There've been a few like missteps, largely my fault. Um, like when I was like, Oh, I'll be big on the internet with this by getting all these people who have a lot of followers and are, you know, punchy, quick writers to write columns. And like, no one wanted to read them. Whereas like, if it was like, here's a 10,000 word feature about like, uh, uh, Robert Silverman wrote a like 10,000 word thing or something about jumping Joe Caldwell's battle against like the NBA in court. And it was like the best performing piece we did that yeah, like month. That, that's what I'm going to you guys for. I'm like in my Sunday long read. It's on you know on the bookmark list. So no, and that's and that's and that's been that's been kind of cool for me because I'm like oh like you you can you don't have to like as long as you're not trying to like make a ton of money you don't have to like play the game right you know like there still is an audience and an appetite for kind of like longer you know more thoughtful like mm-hmm. reported features and it's cool because it's like you know. We don't have like all the money in the world, but we spend a little bit of money. So like, you know, and you know, I can give people travel budget for a couple features. You know, it's just mm. it's just cool to be able to especially because it's kind of, you know, again, it's like because it's it's kind of like published by this other business interest, it doesn't live and die by its bottom line. Oh, um so okay. so I'm sort of like I'm sort it's of playing machine. with house <laughs> Yeah, no, as I was gonna say, like it's sort of like this fantasy world because I'm playing with house money. I could be like <laughs> sure we can pay you x amount per word and people are like are you serious i'm like yeah of course <laughs> and you know we're, we're not paying like you know it's not like conde and ass rates or something but like compared to like what other people are paying like we pay pretty well mm. uh, right on um just really want to thank you again for your time yeah. um I don't we'll do a little preamble here. Um, I don't know if you listen to your own interviews, but we'll kind of give more context on Free Darko and where you come from from our perspective. Cool. But yeah, just really want to thank you. It was really nice to talk to you, um, especially kind of a you know, be able to talk to one of the premier basketball writers in the world and just shoot the shit about the Warriors is pretty awesome for me. So thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate no, it. No, that was fun. Thanks. Don't get in the slack.